and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. Back from Cannes, busy week there, and uh, but a busy week generally, Frank, uh, my co-host, Frank Washcook, our executive editor. Loads of stories dropping, as well as all the Cannes excitement, yeah? Absolutely, a lot happening this week. And the team did a great job covering both of those things, and we'll get into some of those. And we've got a brilliant guest this week. It's Olga Fleming, who's the CEO of Marina Mar Communications. Olga, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, uh, Steve and Frank. I appreciate uh, you having me. Lots to talk about post-CAN and lots going on in the world of PR right now. It really is. It's, uh, it's it's crazy times, and we'll get into we'll chat to Olga, and then we'll talk about some big stories. Edelman announced some job cuts, so it's a bit of a bellwether for the industry. We'll do the final can wrap up. There was an RFP gone out for LA tourism, and loads of people moves. Really interesting ones. Zenia Muka joining TikTok. GM going in raiding Google for their new global head of comms. Dominic Carr leaving Lyft. Bill Hughes to leave Pitney Bowes. Pete Marino's got a new gig. So loads to talk about there with Frank. But first of all, Olga, three months into your role as CEO and uh, took over from a bit of a legend, didn't you? Let's be honest. Marina Mar, 40 years. First of all, tell us about Marina. You came on board sort of in mid-2021 and were able to work under her before taking on the top job. But that must have been uh, a great experience to work with her and then sort of take her legacy forward? Yes, it's definitely been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, And I certainly did not know when I was arriving in September of 21 that she would be passing the baton. Uh, I am honored. I feel privileged. uh, But I also feel like I had a wonderful opportunity to learn from the master. I mean, talk about a person and a woman who shattered, uh, you know, glass ceilings, sales records, trailblazed for this industry, specifically for women. And then in the latter years, really being one of the first to do audience first before it was a thing. So it's been a tremendous, almost 18 months. Uh, and uh, we still very much stay in close touch, even though she's off uh, on her next assignment for Omnicom. But it's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and a wonderful a wonderful way to start the next step of my career as well. Yeah, Marina's a Hall of Famer for PR Week. She was inducted in 2014. Started the firm in 1983, and like you say, a real pioneer in women's leadership, and that's what she's doing at Omnicom PR Group now, the Institute for Women's Leadership. So it'd be great to see what she's doing there. Was the one one or two tips that Marina left you with as sort of, you know, as she uh, passed the baton over and, uh, you know, that you're going to sort of hold true to, as well as putting your own mark on the firm, of course? Well, she taught, she uh, was very emphatic about making sure that it was always about the people, humans first, uh, in the work and in the workplace. And uh, she certainly couldn't have made the progress that she made in the industry if she didn't understand not only the rational drivers of human behavior, but the emotional drivers as well. And so what she's left me with is to really understand the human condition in a way that 
ensures that we're not only creating these great programs, but we're making lasting impact and understand the humanity behind what we do for every day. So that's what I would say I've learned in the very short period of time I've been here, but also you cannot be in this industry and not have had some sort of a connection to Marina because she made the industry much more colorful, much more creative. You know, when I think about being at other agencies and maybe pitching against MNC, you know, one of the things that we always knew is that they were going to come in with very unique perspectives, very creative ways of looking at problems. And that's a legacy that I will continue to foster. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because you, you've had loads of experience at Fleischmann, Weber, BCW. I think you founded Goodfuse and you were biosector too. So, yeah, you will have come across Marina from a competitive point of view as well as a collegial as well. But being top dog, if you like, yourself is different, isn't it? And, you, you know, the buck stops with you. So you've got you've done almost 90 days. What have you? What has your strategy been for those 90 days and how are you sort of now making the making the uh, job your own, as it were. Sure. So uh, I'm focused in two areas. Um, and first and foremost, I'm focused on our people. As you know, and you've reported on, the, the people part of our business has been challenging over the course of the last three years. Um, working in, in an at-home environment, then in a hybrid environment, now trying to reconnect with people, um, the great resignation, thinking about how we foster a culture of connectivity has been a struggle for all of us, regardless of what agency you're at. And so my first order of business is making sure that everybody here felt like they mattered um, every single day, because it was very easy um, over the course of the last three years. Everybody was home to kind of focus on clients, focus on the business and kind of forget about who we were. And so my number one thing was I wanted to create a place where people felt like they could be A, their true selves, and B, make an impact that that they felt was larger than themselves. And so we focused on that. We first thing that we did was we held a two-day You Matter Day um, where it wasn't really about the business. It was more about how do we instill self-care and create boundaries so that we're fitting work into our life and not fitting life into our work. Uh, so that was number one for us. And number two for me is, you know, next week, MMC turns 40. And yeah, that's a great milestone. Yes. Isn't it? On Monday, we turn 40. And as we commemorate that anniversary, Steve, I have to say, I looked back on the last 40 years and wow, you know, where we, you know, how, how far we've come, but there are monumental changes that are going to happen in the next 40. I mean, I can't even imagine what 2063 is going to look like. AI right now is at its infancy. Um, institutions and companies are under unprecedented pressure to become advocates. Every corner of the industry um, is experiencing drastic change and the world seems only to be getting uh, complexity. So in my mind, the second thing I'm focusing on is how do we provide creative solutions 
um, and put creative in the center of PR and coming off of Cannes, I'm sure you can, I'm sure there was a lot of conversation also about PR's role in Cannes, right? But I really want to help trailblaze for that next 40. How can PR be seen as a creative partner along with the ad agencies for companies that are uh, unlocking opportunities or solving um, issues and challenges? Did you see any work that really stood out? Because especially maybe in the healthcare pharma space, because it feels like Whereas maybe that was once a place where there wasn't a lot of creativity and, you know, it was a bit of a wasteland. Now it's actually a lot of the most creative campaigns are coming out of that area and it seems to have changed up. Um, was there anything that particularly struck you about the trends yeah. and, the, and the, the best case studies? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I saw. I, I didn't attend this year as I was celebrating my son's high school graduation. But last, even last year, what I saw was regardless of category, we are celebrating the human condition, right? Last photo, the suicide communications campaign. I mean, wow, that was phenomenal. But even if you look at other campaigns that made a difference, whether it's the greatest by Apple, the mouth pad, how amazing is that? Or even the Michelob Ultra campaign. I don't know if you saw that one. It was around accessibility, around the NBA. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how amazing. It's it wasn't a healthcare campaign, but if you think about it, it was about creating access to people who may have physical conditions or physical um limitations in certain ways to be able to access something and experience it in different ways. Um so, you know, what I see is just another wonderful uh, celebration of how can we ensure that we are developing programming that is inclusive, that makes our world more accessible, and really celebrates the human condition. Yeah, we'll chat about yeah. a bit more about that when we uh, get Frank involved, because um, it really is an inspiring week. And I know it's, it's probably a pain for people who aren't there and see all the pictures of everyone, you know, drinking rosé and all the rest of it. But actually, it really is an inspirational place to hang out. And if you go, really go and focus down and, and check out the work and take advantage of all the content and the networking opportunities, you really can come away inspired and uh, energized. And I think people do. So, yeah. Now, uh, MMC had a great year last year. You were fitting up 19%, I think, to around 50 million in terms of revenue. 2023 is a slightly tougher year, you know, generally in the economy. And um, I think PR is reflecting that a little bit. How do you, how's the year going so far? And we're halfway through it. What do you expect for the rest of uh, 2023? Actually, we're doing quite well. Um, we look to beat last year. We have our uh, new business win rate is close to eight, you know, close to ninety percent. I would say. Is that because you're sort of being much more careful about the opportunities you go for to, you know, so that you're not sort of spinning your wheels and going for everything? Well, we're not going for everything, and you know, I I truly am trying to build an agency that is the right agency for the right client at the right time. I'm not, you know, we're not, a, we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's a good thing. Right. Um, but we, we're going after the right assignments and we're winning those assignments, highly competitive ones mm -hmm. at that, but we're winning those assignments. Um, we're also experiencing a significant amount of organic growth, even from some clients that, 
you know, potentially in the past have shown an attrition in budgets. And that's because we've increased our ability to really do things like influencer and even going beyond influencer to, to do creator studios and things that allow us to be a true extension of content for a lot of our clients. And what does being part of um, Omnicom PR Group mean to the firm? You know, does that, do you sometimes go in with joint pitches or does it uh, help you getting leads? What's, how's that? Because it seems quite an energetic, in fact, Omnicom did really well at Cannes generally, didn't it? It was, uh, I think it was named Best Holding Company, but uh, Omnicom PR Group seems quite dynamic these days. You know, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm here, Steve. I have to say that Omnicom has been such an amazing partner to its PR agencies. You know, sometimes you look at these other holding companies and PR is always kind of the the last on the list or they doesn't get a lot mm-hmm. of attention. But with Chris Foster at the helm and with John Wren's support, we very much feel the love as a PR group. And it's very much a friendly environment. We do a lot of work with our sister agencies. We collaborate in many different ways. And that's where I feel OPRG, our Omnicom PR group, is differentiated. You know, a lot of other companies sometimes are encumbered by their P&L models. But here, I have to say, we put that aside to truly deliver bespoke programming, regardless of where, you know, the people sit. And we've done it in ways that uh, have delivered true results for our clients and have made for very efficient assignments as well. Yeah. And just to finish up, Olga, what's, uh, have you got, now you've had a look at it and you've been in post three months, have you got any initiatives or new launches or things you meant you mentioned ai earlier you got any things we should be looking out for for the rest of the year from mmc yes so we uh, recently rebranded and our tagline so to speak is artfully disruptive and so people need to watch and see some of the new things that we're going to be announcing this year um disruptive new products disruptive new partnerships that we're going to be putting forward again that help our clients really understand the human condition in ways that they can impact because we all know that they're all the clients and companies are looking for holistic ways uh, in which to engage their audiences. So we're going to be launching some pretty cool things this year. All right. We will uh, look forward to seeing those yeah. and writing about them. But uh, yeah, great to chat, Olga, and we'll get your input on some of the stories that we're going to discuss with Frank. Big story this week, uh, when the biggest PR firm in the world makes some cuts, and unfortunately that had to happen today as we record. So yeah, I think it's 4% of the 200, 240 people. Talk us through that story. Yeah, that happened at Edelman today. Uh, and the CEO, Richard Edelman, blamed macroeconomic conditions uh, in the memo that he sent around to staff as the reason for the job cuts. Now, he didn't mention any specific client pullback or really any any sector pullback. Um, Now, he says that senior staffers were mostly impacted by the job cuts. 
This comes about seven months after Edelman implemented a strategic review of its workforce, uh, started a hiring freeze and limiting travel for non-client activities and firm-sponsored events. Now, he further explains in the memo that over an 18-month period from January 21 to June 22, the firm added 25% more people to meet unprecedented growth that uh, they had in that it you can't say it the post-pandemic period, but the period after the heaviest part of the pandemic. Uh, but with the slowing of the economy, some regions now have a top-heavy structure, uh, and this is an effort to correct that. So, uh, of course, other agencies have had layoffs recently. Uh, we reported on layoffs at We Communications, at Praytel, uh, and at Weber Shanwick, to name a few. Yeah, and it comes, I suppose, if you look at this over the, since COVID, you know, Richard Edelman famously went into COVID saying he was not going to make any cuts, but it was unprecedented and he had to eventually mm. to uh, keep the company profitable. Then, as you said, they staffed up as as the whole thing came roaring back, driven a lot by healthcare and pharma, actually, but other things too, and crisis and employee engagement. And then maybe there is a rebalancing last year, which is continuing now. And it should be pointed out that Edelman's financial year ends at the end of June. So it's obviously something they've been looking at closely as they plan for the 2023-24 financial year. So that's the, I think that's the timing part of it. Um, Olga, you know, I wouldn't expect you to comment on another company, but just in general, do you see that sort of arc, you know, if you like through COVID and it's been very difficult, hasn't it? And maybe shrinking back and then stuffing up again. And then it's been a little bit more difficult to sort of predict, hasn't it? Because of just the extraordinary nature of the last three years. It has. And, you know, one dynamic that I think is in play here, obviously, I know, I, I don't, you know, I saw the news, but I don't know, you know, specifics, obviously. But, you know, one of the dynamics is you have to remember that during the resignation, a lot of companies were hiring people at premium. And so while business was going up and business was booming, revenue was going up, but profit was not. And so I'm sure many of the large agencies are looking at the ROI of some of the people that they hire during that time who they potentially paid a lot more than they would have for, right? And so they're making adjustments. Um, it doesn't mean that the business isn't doing well. I'm sure Edelman's doing fantastic. It's just a reset around, you know, after a time when we were probably paying way too much for some of the talent. Yeah, it's a good perspective, actually. That's been mentioned with a lot of the tech cuts on the West Coast, hasn't it? That they've almost made cuts to rehire people, but at slightly lower salaries because because of exactly what you said there. So, and it's interesting that the, um, the company Edelman sort of noted that most of these uh, posts would be in the more senior levels. Um, that's that's the narrative anyway, right. certainly that, that was in the memo that we saw. So yeah, that is an interesting perspective. And yeah, I mean, they passed a billion dollar revenue last year and uh, I'm sure they're growing this year too, but it's... Uh, it's it's you know it's the biggest firm in the world, it's the biggest PR firm in the world. So it's something of a bellwether and just sort of speaks a little bit to, and they have a lot of tech clients as well. So uh, um, always always noteworthy when the the, uh, the when Edelman does anything, and, and certainly was was getting a lot of traffic this morning for sure. Um, Frank, let's talk 
can, you know, I don't want to over go on it about it forever. And uh, I'm sure people have heard enough, but there was a lot of interesting content, interesting debates around the winners. We had the, you know, after, and we did the podcast last week where we talked to the chair of jury and it's very interesting getting Joanne Robertson and uh, Vicky Chowney's views, you know, t- talking about the PR category and how, you know, PR firms didn't really show. Um, which is a perennial topic and can get a bit tiresome, but I do think it's important. Was there anything else else in the f- sort of final wrap-up or um, happenings that caught your eye? Well, I think a question I had as somebody viewing it from afar was where does purpose fit into a lot of these award-winning campaigns? Because it was such a focus in years past. Um, and it did seem to be uh, less so this year. And, you know, some judges commented on that. Uh, so I think the question is, considering that uh, the PR agencies have built that into the services they offer for clients very deeply, uh, where does that leave them going forward in terms of what they enter for the can lines, you know, next year? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, we did ask uh, Joanne about that and she said there wasn't any diktat from the organizers, but it does seem like there was a, a, a sort of a desire, if you like, mm. to... Get away from can had become maybe had gone too far the, the other way in terms of purpose, and some of the campaigns were getting honoured that were, were seemed a bit gimmicky. So they obviously had a desire to pull back a little bit. Maybe there was maybe they were reacting a little bit to this anti woke backlash, which I, I think is a, is the wrong thing to do because that's shouldn't be bullied out of doing the right thing. So there was definitely something there in what you're saying, and there was more focus on fun campaigns. If you look at the winning campaign, you know, centered around the uh, the vibrator in a bunch of flowers. If you look at the Merck Hack campaign, you know, that Edelman worked on, there were certainly more fun campaigns. And why not? You know, there's, there's a lot of fun work going on too. So I don't think it means we're not going to see purpose at Cannes. I do think that they wanted to slightly get away from this idea that it was only about purpose, yeah. right? Question I have for you about it is um, AI dominated the coverage. Uh, was it really like that in person? It it was interesting because going in, you were like, "Oh my god, are we just going to every yeah. single panel is going to be talking about AI, and it's going to be the only thing anyone talks about?" And actually, it wasn't like that. It's a bit early to see the work. There were a few campaigns that used AI, and some of them were quite good. But I'm sure we'll see a lot more tomorrow. Uh, next year, sorry. So no, it wasn't quite as dominant. Olga, what you know on the AI topic? Clearly, everyone's talking about it. There was a, the Forrester research um, report that suggested maybe seven and a half percent of agency jobs would go by 2030. But I think the vibe on the ground in Cannes was it's actually going to be a really useful tool to enhance our creativity and to enhance what we do and add more value, as well as making some tasks more efficient. What's, what's your take on it? I agree. There's, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of fear, mm. right? So, you know, from our perspective, the way that we look at it is exactly what you said. It's at the end of the day, it's going to allow us to be creative. It might allow us to be a little creative faster. Um, you know, because we always were looking for an insight or putting in data to find that why, uh, we might be able to get those types of answers much faster to get us to, you know, uh, cutting edge creative. Uh, so it may allow us to get there faster, but I don't think it's going to replace the humans from a creative standpoint. Um, 
there's just too much variability yeah, it's something there. they can use to enhance what they're doing and uh yeah. Frankly, it was interesting that tech platforms all have beaches, and yeah. apart from Twitter this year, um, although CEO Linda Yaccarino was there. And it, it felt like a bit of a comeback for Meta, stroke Facebook, and and uh, Snap. You know, uh, so those platforms maybe ones to look out for. There was a great podcast. Um, obviously, the PR Week is the podcast to mm. uh, listen to each week. But if you check out the Kara Swisher Scott Galloway podcast, um, they uh, they do a great podcast called Pivot, which is well worth checking out. But last week they did a live show from Cannes, and it was some really interesting points, especially about the tech platforms, of which they're both uh, quite expert. But um, it felt like maybe Meta was was actually going into the AI space, you know, and um, and going to prosper from from that. So that was interesting. Um, but there was there was. There was another couple of campaigns, weren't there, that won? I mean, I think the point, this whole point about PR not doing well in PR versus it does pretty well in the other categories, but the whole show is about earned media, right? So yeah. whether it, whether it's a PR firm leading on the creative or an ad agency or a digital or media, it's all earned media and PR firms don't have a monopoly on that, right? So, um, and you know, Olga, I bet you're competing for business with creative firms, right? It's a sign of the more integrated nature of the Marcom space, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we're all playing in the same uh, sandbox at this point. So, you know, and I know we have a lot of PR colleagues, uh, and I certainly heard the rumblings this year about, well, you know, why are ad agencies winning PR lions? Look, at the end of the day, if you want to win a lion, they're I hate to say it, but there's certainly a formula. Yeah. And the ad agencies have it down, you know, to a science. And so if we want to compete in those circles, there's a rubric to follow if we need to do that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Good point. That's what Joanne Robertson said as well. I just would point out that actually PR did really well in the other categories. So they yeah. can enter well there. So I still I still am slightly mystified by why, why they can't do better in, in the PR category. I, it does it does baffle me a little bit. But hey, it's a bit inside baseball as well. Well, you know what it is, Steve? I think one of the things is that our clients on the comm side are so different. It's different to be speaking with a, a CMO and different to have your client be the chief communications mm. officer, right? And so the budgets are different, the assignments are different. So sometimes we're fighting something that's just inherent to the business that we're in. Yeah, Frank, just to end up on this topic, I mean, it was uh, an exhausting but exhilarating week. We had a great session with um, Spike Lee, actually, hosted by yeah. ourselves, but uh, the Fireside Chat was with Chris Foster from OPRG. Yeah. It was really a uh, privilege to be in the room for that. There was only 30 of us there, and we, we were able to listen to Chris interview Spike and then uh, um, answer questions. He answered all our questions. Uh, it was great to see Spike honoured on Friday, and he actually got the plane, same plane back as our own Zakaila Shimon and tapped her on the shoulder and said, Hey, sis. Uh, on the way back. So she was made up by that, that he remembered her and, um, you know, and said hi on the plane. So that was really nice. That's terrific. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, another year. And um, one thing that was a bit of a pain, and I know these are first world problems, there was constant um, roadworks and construction going on, which apparently is going to happen next year and down by the port. So Yacht Row and some of those areas are not are going to be out of action next year. So I guess... The prices will be even higher if that's possible. God help us. 
Um, Frank, tell us about this LA tourism RFP. Yeah, uh, this is uh, really wide-ranging international. They are looking to bring on firms all over the world, including in China, Mexico, Australia, and New Zealand. And they are looking for them to tell the story of what they're calling uh, LA 2.0, which is uh, the new parts of town, the um, the the features that were not there uh, well, before like the, the pandemic. Cities. No, only joking, sorry. Uh, not amusing. <laughs> so... Uh, Part of the reason for this is that Los Angeles is not on track to reach the number of international visitors it had before the pandemic until 2025. And they're trying to speed this up, as I think a lot of cities are. Some stats about this. Tourism to Los Angeles County last year had hit 91% of the record-setting level, which was set in 2019. And that's at 46.2 million visitors, and they contribute $34.5 billion in economic impact. So you can see how important this is to the economy there and why they are trying to go after it. Yeah, I, I mean, what's, what's your take on L.A., Frank? Are you an L.A. type of guy? I've never been. Really? Nope. Wow. Okay. So uh, I've I've heard things, but I have no frame of uh, reference. We need a PR campaign to get Frank over to LA, <laughs> don't we? Um, I've heard about the traffic. That's the traffic that's for sure. Is, so is egregious, but I love visiting. I must admit. How about you, Olga? Are you an LA fan? I love LA, but you know it's interesting. I think there was a stat that said that San Diego's are San, uh, the San Diego tourism is up, right? So I wonder if people are going to California, they're just not going out. Yeah, I think you might be right. And what about RFPs generally? What's the market like? We've heard a lot about more project-based work rather than, you know, big agency um, of record type arrangements. How are you seeing that in 2023? Yes, we're seeing more project-based work. uh, And, you know, we're also seeing RFPs that come in with a, a promise of a larger budget, but then when the business is won, ah, that old, that old, that old technique. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's more and more these days, Steve. Yeah. So you know it is unfortunate, um, but a sign of the times. And so you know, we always discount the budgets when we see them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose that's the nature of a slight downturn as well, isn't it? On the move. All right, Frank, loads of massive people stories. Really are. Um, so do, run run us through them because some of them are really significant. Actually. It's almost like where to start. So um, at Lyft, Dominic Carr uh, has left the company earlier this month. He was EVP of communications and marketing. And when he left, the VP of communications, Sona Ilif Moon, uh, assumed oversight of comms. Uh, and it looks like a case of where they're going to split marketing back off from communications. You know, we're always watching these things closely. Uh, they say they're in the preliminary stages uh, of filling the marketing side of the role. So that's interesting in this case that uh, as he left the company, uh, Lyft is looking to split marketing and comps. That's that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, really interesting people move here um, in that one of Google's top communications executives, Lin Hua Wu, is set to join General Motors as the chief communications officer, uh, replacing Craig Buchholz. Now, she is going to, uh, there was some speculation about this, she is going to report directly to the CEO, Mary Barra. And they really emphasized in the announcement about bringing her on uh, her technology background as GM transitions to more of an electric car maker with plans to go fully in that direction. 
within a few decades. Um, so th- this is also interesting because it felt like at one time to be a CCO or, or a top communications executive in the car industry, in the automotive industry, you you had to have worked at an automotive company before this, right? Like gas, it felt very insular. In your veins. Yeah, yeah, it felt very insular at one time. And maybe this is a big change from that. Yeah, that was, that, it, there's a couple of interesting things about that one. I agree with your point there. And we, we thought maybe they would bring an auto expert yeah. in. But also that uh, she's reporting straight direct to Mary Barrow, whereas Craig apparently was going to be reporting through the CMO in the restructure of which they're doing. So that was interesting. Another interesting angle of this, she is the second high profile Googler to yeah. uh, get ready to leave that company. Well, uh, maybe even more, actually. Yeah. TV so Corey Dubrow, of course, is leaving the B. Uh, CEO of BCW. So um, that's a really interesting move. Bill Hughes, a long somebody we have we've chronicled the moves of for a long time and an industry veteran. He is leaving Pitney Bowes after about 10 years as chief communications officer. They're going to change this role a bit and uh, he's going to be replaced by Kathy Raymond. Uh, VP of Internal and Employee Communications. She's going to transition to the head uh, uh, head of communications role. Um, and again, changing the reporting structure here in that uh, unlike what Hughes was doing, Raymond is going to report to Bill Burrell, the SVP and CMO, whereas Hughes reported to the CEO, uh, Mike Lautenbach. So uh, another interesting one there. A longtime friend of, our, of uh, PR Week and uh, an industry stalwart. So we wish Bill all the best. Yeah. Uh, and here's another big one. Uh, TikTok has brought on really one of the biggest heavy hitters in the industry uh, in the former Disney head of communications, Xenia Mucha, uh, as chief brand and communications officer. Obviously, TikTok uh, facing possible bans in the U.S., uh, in other Western countries, as there's a lot of concern about how much access Chinese officials might have to user data as well as just uh, the effects that TikTok and other platforms have on teenagers' mental health, uh, as well as disinformation and other things. Yeah, um, it's a real big hit to bring in, isn't it? A very significant move there. So yeah. uh, we'll see what Xenia does with Now, that. she had been working with the CEO of TikTok for a while, and it sounds like it was going well enough uh, for him that he brought her on uh, full-time in this role. So it felt like Disney definitely missed her absence, didn't they, over the past year? Or, though I think it's fair to say they've stabilized the situation. Yes, under the new... Uh, New, new order then. Yeah. Um, and one more, the longtime former Molson Coors executive Pete Marino is joining the investment firm Pritzker Private Capital. Uh, he, uh, that just happened this week. Um, and he's the, he said he is going to help the uh, this investment firm deepen its expertise in the beverage world and scale their current beverage investments. Now, it's, it's interesting because he also had um, a non-communications function of his job on the C-suite uh, role, wasn't it? yeah on the um uh more of the brewing side so he's he's well versed in this uh interesting to see what he does there yeah running the craft brewing business yep. so good to see pete back and um taking advantage of his comms expertise and his business expertise um olga i don't know if you knew any of those or know any of those folks but in general are you, do you see more people People moves on the client side. I know you seeing them restructure the way they put their teams together or their reporting lines, or is this just like general run of business? I think we're seeing more of it. And, you know, my perspective on it is that companies are trying to bring different type of people, different type of perspectives in Uh, the old models 
just don't work anymore. And so that's why you see people like GM and others bringing in people from different sectors to think differently, uh, to provide different perspectives, because we've said it, these are unprecedented times. We're being, you know, a lot of these companies are, maybe they're not, they're a car company, but they're also now a tech company. Yeah. They are a healthcare company, but they're also a data company. So I think we're going to see more of that, uh, different people bringing in different perspectives. Uh, and I think it's a great thing because that's the only way we're going to move certain industries forward. Yeah. And I think as long as the comms function doesn't get diminished within that, I think it's positive, like you say, and uh, is actually a sign of the increased seriousness with which it's being taken. So yeah, I totally agree on that. Listen, Olga, it's been great to chat and congratulations on the CEO role, filling great shoes and doing a terrific job. We look forward to seeing what you do with that. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, it was great chatting with you today. Look forward to the next one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, don't forget, there's a secret late deadline for the Purpose Awards just for podcast listeners. If you've still got a campaign or two you want to get in for that, then do contact our awards events team. They'll uh, show you how to do it. And that'll be part of PR Decoded. It'll be on the first day, October 11th and 12th in Chicago. Really looking forward to that. Our annual conference, Purpose Plus, going to be a fantastic event, reflecting a lot of the things we've discussed today, actually, and lots more. And then 40 Under 40 is out for entries, always one of the most exciting competitions and nights of the year. It'll be in October in New York City, but you've still got time to get your entries in for that. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs> <laughs>